The following is an R.E.D. Podcast Network production. You can find this and many other great R.E.D. Podcast Network shows at redpodcastnetwork.com, bringing on-demand geek audio straight to your ears. On today's episode of the Slash Cloud Podcast, why your cloud is closer to a hamburger than you realize. Slash Cloud. Welcome to the Slash Cloud Podcast, brought to you in association with CloudedIssues.com. The goal of this show, what is it? Well, it's quite simple. It's for me to help you flatten the learning curve with your cloud and be an anchor so the cloud doesn't carry the focus away from your business and what you want to achieve. And on this podcast, I'm bringing my six years experience in the cloud services field to help you see through the sales speak, clear away the mists of marketing and in an agenda-free manner to break down the reality of what cloud can do and can mean to your business in an easy-to-understand way. For today's episode of the show, that's right, I did compare cloud to hamburgers. And I've always said that getting cloud is a bit like trying to put your hands on a good beer and a good burger. When you find a great place that does a great burger and a really great beer, a good craft beer, a real beer, you know, you'll find something which is valuable and will give you payback for your investment in it and for taking the time to open up to it and get to know it better. You know, right now, the global economy is still pretty much in the tank. And, uh, you know, it just is what it is at this point still. People's spending power is down by just natural definition of things. And, as always in the cloud, we seem to have this thing where they say that price sensitivity is the central argument. My counter to that would be price sensitivity is a central argument if, and only if, AWS is your barometer. Price is often wheeled out as a reason for going to the cloud. And you know, this is just a fallacy. Pricing is not a reason for going to the cloud and should never, ever, ever, and I repeat that, ever be your sole and your guiding reason for going into cloud. If it is, it's a false economy. Going to the cloud means that you are getting something tangible to your business and it allows you to refocus resources elsewhere and use them in a far more dynamic and better way for the business to benefit from. It is never and should never be the sole reason why you go into cloud services. And here's the thing with this. Look into your own lives. People who are price sensitive, they're usually price sensitive because the service that they're getting currently relating to that price sensitivity is poor. What they're getting doesn't meet their expectations, the expectations they have are low, or else they've been undersold by the vendor. And this is a common thread that happens, in fact it's a natural thread that actually happens. The example of this is, if you're going somewhere and you're paying a high uh, high sort of price for the service that you're getting, and the actual level of customer service or quality of service that you're getting is quite low, your expectation is, well, why am I paying above the odds for a service which is actually pretty bad when I could go somewhere else, pay a lot less, and get the same level of bad service? And I'd rather pay a lot less for a for the bad level of service than paying a premium for the bad level of service. And this is just a natural human thing. So what I'm going to do here is, I'm actually going to take the high street food comparison as an example. And this will help you understand fundamentally why there... Yes, there are more expensive alternatives to the likes of AWS, but 
why these alternatives may be better for you in the long run, and why these alternatives are continuing to thrive, continuing to grow, continuing to appear in local markets, and why they are being successful and they're not going out of business as AWS continues to drive the price straight into the floor like a pile driver. I'm going to start with a very, very simple example, and I think it's one that everyone can relate to. Let's take the McDonald's Eurosaver hamburger versus a quality produced hamburger. And I'm going to use a local example. Again, I want to talk about local markets. So in people who were in Ireland, Dublin, for example, Bunsen, an amazing place in Dublin City to go and get a hamburger. Uh, or those who are more familiar on sort of the international stage of things, let's take the example of the Eurosaver hamburger versus maybe, say, you know, the counter and get the type, the quality of hamburger that you get there compared to the Eurosaver hamburger. Now, I realize that the counter is an international franchise, but for all intents and purposes, just roll with me here on this, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to where I'm getting to with this. You know, in a bind, if you're in the mood for, you want to just, a quick hamburger, it's quick and easy, and you're not too fussy, you don't really care, you know, the McDonald's hamburger might do in a bind. Might. Me, personally, it won't do. But, if I want, I'm in the mood and I want something good, I want something that's satisfying and fulfilling, and I'm in Dublin City, I'm local, and I'm like, you know what, I'm going into Bunsen. The guys in Bunsen, when it came for, again, just keep rolling with me here with the examples. Uh, they actually spent an awful lot of time developing their bun recipe for their hamburger. Like, they spent months trying to perfect just the bun Think about that. Not even the core of what they're actually serving, which is the meat, the burger, the bun alone, to make sure that it was the perfect accompaniment to what they had actually found for their their supplier of their beef for their hamburger. How they were going to cook it, how they were going to season it, what they were going to put on it for accoutrements like uh, lettuce, onions, and all the rest of that good stuff. And Bunsen are just going from strength to strength. Every time I pass by them, there is a lot of people in Bunsen. And they just keep they just seem to keep going. And and again, let's go for the example of something which is a little bit closer to other stuff that I'm talking about at the moment. I do a uh, real beer podcast called the eleven PM Somewhere Podcast, and on this I talk about the importance of the craft beer industry, the craft beer revolution slash real beer revolution uh in Ireland, because we have yet to get onto the same scale as the guys in the US have been doing for the last twenty five years. Uh and again kind of very apt as well you know the IT industry in Ireland is while it's churning out an awful lot of fantastic uh, businesses that are getting some great VC in behind them and out there you know it's still quite not as mature as what's going on stateside and we're just a little bit behind what's going on in the UK yes I could have a Budweiser beer is Budweiser a beer my mind questionable but for intents and purposes here it's a beer it's in a bind it's standard you get a Budweiser in a can uh, in Ireland, odds are in the UK it tastes the same, odds are in the US it tastes the same, and so on. It's like it's a standard formula recipe that's rolled out for each local market uh, and produced under license. Then, you take the example of some really, really good craft beers. Uh, if you're in the UK, you could always hit up like uh, some Brewdog beers. And again, if you've never tried a Brewdog beer, try one. Exceptional. These are guys who spend an awful lot of thought and time in their in their product and in the development of their product and making sure that they're using all natural ingredients, they're doing something really different, they're not using preservatives. Again, you come into the Irish market, you talk about small breweries starting up like the Brew, 
brewery down in Meath who are a couple of guys who started up and then you've got the Otterbank Brewery as well, a couple of guys who are home brewers and now they're coming into brewing beer which is going into pubs. The guys in Trouble also, Trouble Brewing, um, you guys in Kinnegar, um, and again, all these small little guys who are just producing these really amazing beers in, and some of them are actually only available in their local markets. I mean, that's the that's the thing here with this. And sort of, they make the trip going to these places that little bit better when you go down and you discover these fantastic little beers that have been made with great care and attention and love and some fantastic quality produce. And people are paying more for this. I mean, here's a great example. In Dublin City, uh, yes, it's expensive to go out and grab a, grab a pint of beer. It could be maybe four euros, five euros, a little over five euros. In fact, the Oliver St. John Gogarty in Dublin City was quoted as having a beer for seven euros. Uh, and yet there are craft beer slash real beer pubs opening up in Dublin, which are not owned by the likes of Diageo, InBev, or any of these guys. And they are selling beers in there, sometimes for up to seven euros, maybe even ten euros a pint, and people are going in and buying them because they realize they're going in and getting a quality product which is made with care and something they can try and is something satisfying that they get to go away from. And again, these breweries then get to keep going and they get these followers and followings and build ups and and word of mouth going around about what great things they're doing. And it just keeps going on and on. And the, the example doesn't even end there. Have a look in Dublin City again. I'm using it. It's a local example for me. And you look at the amount of uh, sort of boutique, like what I call them, boutique lunch spots that are opening up where you can go and get these amazing sandwiches. A great example of this is some place I actually personally like to go and grab lunch from. It's a place called Poulet Bon Femme. And they do these amazing sort of rotisserie chickens and rotisserie meats. And they make the bread that they use is this specially made sourdough bread that's made for them. Um, and for their lamb, for example, they've got this amazing sort of a, sorry, a mint jelly, which is made from just slightly sweet. And it's unique to them as well. Their bread is unique to them. There's no two sandwiches they put out are ever the same size or anything else. Again, very artisanal. Seven euros for a sandwich. I mean, when you think about it, seven euros for a sandwich at a time when we're supposed to be in a recession. And more of these deli slash boutique sandwich shops are opening up in Ireland and they're opening up around the country. And people are going in and paying for these food items. When there may be a place nearby, they could go to a centre and pick up a chicken fillet sandwich for three euros. Again, half over half the price. But they, the yes, people are still going in there. Mind, but there are people who are still frequenting and becoming patrons of these places, and these places are growing, and there's more of them coming up. And this is the point that I'm getting at: the race to the bottom on cloud by AWS and everyone else. This is not the same market space when you're going to a local provider to pick up some of your cloud services. And it's not the same message that the, that the guys who you're going to locally are talking about for their cloud services. Or what these other smaller vendors are putting across. And these smaller vendors are winning in their local markets. They are not trying to be everything to everyone. They are trying to be the best provider in their local market to people, being accessible to people locally, being accountable and responsible to people locally, and again, forging relationships that these sort of giant corporations, and this is what it comes down to, giant corporations talking to giant corporations, that works. SMEs and SMBs talking to giant corporations, 
doesn't always work and there's always that thing of that they feel that they are they are having to talk upwards it's almost like shouting up into the heavens for any gods that you might believe in and that's what sometimes it actually feels like to people and that people are starting to understand more and more that bigger does not always mean better they are not the same and here's the, the sort of the real crux of this in one respect if the market was so sewn up by the likes of Amazon's AWS services in the IaaS space, why are there so many new players still coming into play in local markets in IaaS? Especially in the markets where nationally, in Ireland for example, we're seeing a lot more players come into the space in IaaS. There's a lot more diversification. There's guys who are actually uh, reselling services of other Irish IaaS providers. And... Why are these guys continuing to pop up? If there was no market and AWS had it so sewn up, why would they be going in here? People do not go into business for jollies. They go into business because they want to make money. They believe they can make money. They believe they can get a, a decent return on their investment. And they believe they have something to offer against these bigger guys. And they are going out and they are doing it. And they are winning. Are they winning hugely? Maybe, maybe not. But they are still clawing their way through it and they are making inroads in there are they going to soap every piece of business they want no will they continue to find new business yes they will the battle for cloud is certainly not over aws really haven't won a damn thing but pardon my french a pissing contest against other people who are in their own weight division if you take your small your cloud IaaS provider to your SMBs or an SMEs who is local to them or everything else, they are not in the same weight division as AWS and they're not even in the same division as Microsoft and their Azure Cloud or Google and and their platform, you know. And what frankly is like when you talk about AWS versus Microsoft versus Google and this three way Titanic battle, you know, even that really is a moot point. You know, given that Microsoft's sort of niche seems to be this whole thing of their platform as a server with their Azure cloud uh, which has some IaaS points to it and then their software as a service thing which is their Office 365 type space and then you've got Google which is really more sort of software as a service and platform as a service than IaaS um, and it really sort of makes me wonder you know if we value our businesses so much as people who own businesses and operate businesses and yet in our own personal lives as we're seeing now we're becoming more discerning in our own lives in terms of like uh, the again the growth of people looking out, looking out for artisanal foods and willing to spend more on artisanal foods or willing to forego going cheap meat in Tesco and going to their local butcher where they may pay a little bit more but they get a better quality of meat. They, they Again, accountability of where the meat came from and all the rest of this good stuff. Um, why are we not doing this with our own businesses? Or why are we not doing this when it comes to cloud service providers that we use and why are we still sort of seemingly unable to see past the shiny, overhyped marketing for these cloud services? And, and especially for reasons which are, when it comes down to it, are centrally not really the main drivers for us wanting to go into the cloud. And I think one of the reasons that this is actually happening and why it's still kind of prevalent is, that I do believe sort of in the last 20 years, as consumers of IT... Uh, in business in our own personal lives we've sort of in one respect almost fallen into this what I call an IT industry Stockholm syndrome where we're identifying with those technologies and that have captured us 
and we seem to have almost like an, an inability to step back or a will to step back and look at what we're really getting and what choices or freedoms or flexibilities we're losing just because we're enthralled by a brand name. I mean, one that comes to mind to this, and I am sort of semi-guilty of this myself, is I would actually be a large user of Apple products and Apple services and it, because it's services that I've grown up with. So in one respect... Uh, my my default would be like that I buy iOS mobile devices. I have iPads, I've got iPods, I've got I've multi, I've gone through multiple iPhones in the last couple of years. I've had one Windows phone in that time. I've had one Android tablet, but if someone says to me tomorrow, you know, what tablet will I go will I go out and get or what sort of or ask me what tablet will I get, what mobile phone, what laptop will I buy? I'll nearly always invariably go, you know what, go and get an Apple. Uh, product, you know, it's less hassle to to live with, uh, and it's just an easier ride to live with if you're just looking for an easy life and something which I believe is a very very uh, quality built and quality designed product. Now, rightly or wrongly, I mean, you can argue the merits of design, you can argue the merits of whether uh, certain devices are are sort of better quality of technology. But if someone says, "Do you want a Dell laptop to me, or do you want an Apple laptop?" I'm like, "I'll take the Apple one, please," every single time. Again, bad experiences in the past shape your perception of how you view technologies and how you view them going forward and the especially the vendors of those technologies and it becomes you become almost semi captured by the marketing that's in behind it or you become captured by your own experiences in living with it and living through the experiences of them where you start to identify them and you become a lot less objective or um or critical about how they actually are used and you then, once you sort of get past that and you've recognized that this is something that you've found yourself beholden to, you are then able to sort of step back from that once again. And then the next question you sort of then go to ask yourself is, when you're actually thinking about price sensitivity, ask yourself, is it because you truly believe that commodity is more important than convenience? And they're not the same thing. They really, really are not the same thing. Um, convenience is where something makes your life easier. Commodities don't always make your life easier. Commodity just means you're able to go and beat the guy down over price and you can have a better argument about price and then you get into a pricing spectrum then based on that. A great example of that is go to your local supermarket, go to your local Tesco even as an example. Go in there, go into their aisle where they actually keep their chilled orange juices. You can get a Tesco orange juice for just under a euro. Or you can go get a Tropicana orange juice, which is the same sort of volume and quantity, and it'll cost you almost four euros. Tropicana are not going out of business. Tropicana are still selling units. This is the point that I'm getting at. A pricing spectrum does exist, and orange juice is a commodity. It is a defined commodity. It's traded on the commodities markets, for God's sake. You same with coffee. You can go and get a jar of one euro coffee from Tesco, or you can get a jar of nine euro coffee in Tesco made by someone else. Again, another commodity. Commodity and convenience not necessarily are always the same thing. And bringing the sort of the entire arguments back home, when you're going into the cloud, yes, there is an AWS are are really good at what they do. In fact, an awful lot of these cloud providers are exceptionally good at what they do. But AWS is not the answer to I want to go into the cloud and and I want to go into the cloud because I believe the lower price is is, is my main driver for it. And it, some, a lot of the times it's not main drivers. I've had conversations with people for years 
pricing is the initial upfront that they have because everyone is telling them, oh, the prices are going down. AWS are driving the prices down. And they believe that the commoditized market means that all cloud services are the exact same and they're all going down in the same way when they really, really aren't. And then when you get them to think about what they're taking in the cloud, why they're taking it in the cloud, you identify that, look, cheap and cheerful, whatever the limitations on SLAs and the rest of it are, is not really their driver. When you drill down into what they need, these type of services are not what they need. They need something which is allows them to pick up a phone to someone that they know, build a relationship with someone, and feel that they are on some kind of an on-par relationship with their vendor, that they're not having to talk upwards to the man in the sky uh, to get an answer for their problems, that they're able to develop real one-on-one egalitarian relationships with their vendors, especially their cloud vendors, which allows them to use that cloud service as it's intended and not be beholden to it and make it accountable and responsible to their uh to them and their business and also make their cloud vendor uh, responsible and accountable to them as well uh, which a lot of the times you very rarely are able to get from large corporations uh, large like i said large corporations talking to large corporations that works great large corporations talking to smes smbs mm, not so much but that's just how that goes i would love to hear other people's thoughts on this whole thing of like pricing being a driver in the cloud or people's experience in terms of where they thought they were going for a cheaper version of cloud and it didn't meet what they wanted and then they ended up having to take something else you know i'd love to hear your feedback hit me up on at clouded issues on twitter or drop me an email to ian.bergen at cloudedissues.com i'd love to hear your feedback the show will be back again with another episode in two weeks time what I'm going to continue to do is drop an episode every two weeks, and I think what I might do is I might intersperse that with uh, additional sort of mini articles or things that I find interesting going up onto the blog on cloudedissues.com. I'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the first episode. I got a great response in terms of downloads, way more than I thought I'd actually get. So until next time, keep your head out of the cloud and your feet on the ground.